And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name, of course, is Eddie. <laughs> what the heck is my name? My name is Eddie Cohn, the host, the producer, the editor, the creator of this insane podcast called the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I'm thrilled you're here, thrilled you're listening. I know there's probably about 925,000 podcasts happening right now, so I'm thrilled that you've chosen this one today. And you've got a great conversation awaiting you. Um, a few days ago, I was really blessed, stoked to welcome my friend, author, personal trainer, coach, Jen Wiederstrom to the show. So it's an amazing conversation, and we'll get there very soon. But I was thinking about a few things. You know, I think a lot about timing. And Jen is from Chicago, and this new documentary just was released this last week about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And you know I'm probably a big sports fan, and I think Jen is also. And look, there's obviously exceptions out there. You know, I'm thinking Paris Hilton, who obviously was born into a family of wealth and instantly became famous and well-known. So obviously there's exceptions out there where people didn't have to work hard to necessarily, quote-unquote, get there. But I've always been amazed and enamored by athletes like Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and just watching this documentary, you know, you really see firsthand the hard work that it takes to accomplish, you know, some pretty elevated goals, whether it's writing a book, getting on a television show, winning a championship for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, all this stuff takes an exceedingly large amount of work. You know, this podcast evolved out of so much of my issues and negative attitude towards Instagram, the laziness that it creates, technology and Netflix creating a world where people just aren't working as hard. People aren't having conversations. And I think about this a lot. I remember reading an article where Steven Spielberg, one of his motivating factors was, and this was years ago, he knew that if he was becoming lazy or just watching television, he knew there were other students that in that moment were busting their ass trying to make a movie. And this connects to Jen because I met her maybe at least 15 years ago. My girlfriend was going to this fitness studio in the Valley called Pulse. And so I met her years ago before her fame, before her book, before becoming on the, before getting on The Biggest Loser. And I was always impressed by the sheer work that she put into her life, not just her training, but just becoming a better human being, the way that she listens, she's fully present and active, and she doesn't bullshit you, and she is there for you, and she also is very honest about the amount of work that she puts into her life. And this stuff doesn't come easy. I mean, Instagram, everything looks easy. You know, it's easy to sit on your couch and just stare at Instagram or Netflix all day, but it's a freaking hard work to spend two, three, five years going to college, getting better at basketball or getting onto the Chicago Bulls or writing a book or getting on The Biggest Loser. I mean, all of this stuff takes time, discipline, and a lot of work. And I was hoping this podcast, it's interesting before you, before you listen, you know, of course, this time right now where we're forced to stay at home is challenging. It's bringing up a lot of issues for people. And of course, I struggle with it, but I'm using this time to value my time make the most of my time and try and get my book done, try and start this other book that I have these ideas for, get into music again. I mean, we do have 
a lot of time potentially right now. And I guess that's one of the major points of my podcast is valuing your time, not wasting your time sitting on your ass and just staring at Netflix and Instagram all day. So Jen and I talk a lot about that. We talk about social media, technology, sort of this coronavirus um, pandemic very briefly. Don't worry, we don't talk too much about it. But just, you know, what motivates you? What motivated her? What motivates me? You know, where do these desires come from? It's it's complicated. And sometimes I think there's certain moments in, in our lives when we don't know it's a turning point or an ins- inspirational moment in our lives, but then we look back on it 10, 15 years later and we're like, oh my God, I remember when that happened. And those moments happened throughout all of our lives. And it was just a really, it was a reminder when I spoke to Jen that we need to be fully aware, not numb out on the couch to, I think, recognize when those inspirational moments happen, because they do happen to all of us. So great talk. You probably know Jen from maybe The American Gladiators, Biggest Loser. She's also an author. She wrote a book called Diet Right for Your Personality Type. She also has a CBD company right now called Get Up, Stay Up, and her website is weederstrong.com. That's W-I-D-E-R Strong. Of course, she's on Instagram. Follow her there. You can reach out to her. I just think she's an amazing human being, and I was really blessed that I had the chance to talk to her. Our conversation is really emblematic of what I'm trying to accomplish with my show. More awareness, deeper conversations, deeper thoughts. So if you dig the show, really helpful if you share it with your friends. Head over to iTunes, give it a five-star, write a review. I'm teaching all of my yoga classes right now online on my YouTube channel. So if you want to take some yoga, reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at Eddie Cohn, and I'll send you all the information. And you can support my show directly at my Patreon, patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. But that is it. So really appreciate you guys supporting the show. I hope you dig the conversation that I had with Jen. It's It's just, it's a really great talk. So as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Well, thanks for doing this. Oh my God, finally, geez. Well, we, a- we have a lot of time now. <laughs> Honestly, it's just, what's really been great is um, just all my travel went away. And it really, it really changed my ability to like, just my whole life just seems seamless now. It's, mm-hmm. it sounds funny, but I'm like, it's just that one element. Cause I spend most days by myself, you know, right. I'm not. Well, it's interesting. I do think there are people that are actually thriving in this environment right now. Oh yeah. I, well, if they, I don't know, I see it as an opportunity and I joke that I'm with Hank, my bulldog, you know, all the time and there's not a lot of conversation there to begin with so i'm pretty good on my own but i i kind of felt like called like okay here we go this is what we have and this is the way forward and i i don't know i've just been excited about it well it's weird i we'll get in and i'll ask you some stuff but i whenever i go out to the grocery store i get depressed because i see people in masks 
people are terrified to have a conversation. You, you can even yeah. feel like people will are really close to getting close to or are scared to get close to one another. Yes. When, yes. You know, when I'm home and I'm sort of like writing or I'm teaching yoga now online, sort of when I'm in this space, I feel really positive and good. But when I go outside and I look at the world, I get kind of bummed out. Well, I think it's osmosis. Like you see their panic and you're like, should I be panicked? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> you know, this podcast sort of originated out of the manipulation that I think is going on and the addiction that's going on with technology. But before we get there, I thought it was really important to talk to you because all these people, media, politicians, researchers, uh, epidemiologists are, are basically freaking people out. And whether that's good or bad, I think one discussion that isn't being had, especially now that people are home a lot, is what people can do to help their immune system increase physical activity. Because I do think, and there have been articles about this, where they're telling people to stay home, but one way to actually increase your immune system and strengthen it is to actually be outside around other people. So mm -hmm. what's, what's your sort of angle with that? Listen, um, when you don't take care of yourself, meaning if you are an unhealthy person, you are more susceptible to getting sick. And that can be by way of a common cold, by flu. You know, flu goes around our country, our schools every single year. Um, it goes by, by way of inflammation, like, you know, diseases caused by inflammation. You have cancer, you have diabetes, you have dementia, you have heart disease, of course, you know. And you think about when you're unhealthy, you're more susceptible to to health problems. So yeah. that's just baseline. And so I, I actually kind of take it from a different point of view. You're around germs, you're more immune to germs, right? Because you build up those antibodies. And I do understand that. But I see it from the standpoint of we actually are in this position. And the reason this virus is thriving is because we culturally, uh, because of this transition to far more tech and far less labor, and far more, uh, you know, I think thoughtfulness around our caring for our bodies, how we're sourcing our foods, all those things that we're just in a position where we've gotten so unhealthy and obesity has gone so high that we're in this position where the, uh, the virus is thriving. Part of the reason why I thought that, that China had such a hard time with it at first is that there's so much pollution, air quality is terrible, and people there smoke heavily. And right. so then before it really got here, people were concerned about America because there's such a high level of obesity in this country. Yes. But then again, so, I, I, but I also go ahead. No. Well, it's funny. I literally, so do you know what COPD is? Sure. Okay. So for anyone listening, I'm literally going to read the definition um, because I don't want to mess it up, but it's a very common term for people like me in the health world or even Eddie, who's like very interested in health and is also teaching. But COPD is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. This involves the constriction of the airways or difficulty or discomfort in breathing. That is any person, right? When you talked about smoking, but it's also, if you think about, if you carry belly weight, Okay, and you've got basically you think about like a weight vest on the front of your torso that's kind of pulling your abdomen forward. A lot of time what happens and I've experienced this a lot with, you know, especially on the biggest loser. We have very we are very you know large human beings that are trying to get the fat down, um, but you don't have to be 
100 pounds overweight to experience COPD when you have that stomach distension. So the weight's actually kind of pulling your stomach forward and you're not able to get a strong enough exhalation right. by getting the CO2 out in order to get new air in. So we have limited breathing opportunities because of the weight that's pulling our stomach forward and we're not really breathing deep enough to kind of get oxygenated, get CO2 out, and it creates that breathing dysfunction. So, I mean, I know non-smokers that are getting... Uh, that are struggling with the virus um, just because of their obesity. Actually, the New York Times literally just um, published a piece on one of the most uh, common factors that are predicating uh, that are predicating like this illness is obesity. Um, and, and it's obviously the United States is one of the cu- cultures, the countries with the highest obesity rates. And these are people without pre-existing conditions that don't smoke, they don't have anything else going on. Just the obesity is is a is a is a huge indicator for people that are going to have a severe, severe reaction to Corona. And it's, you know, I don't want to get too into politics. Actually, I don't want to at all. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you don't no, want to. <laughs> but, but I guess I've only questioned, and we'll go down here and then we'll, I want to get more into sort of your backstory, but I've all, part of the reason why I brought up my podcast was I do think there's an addiction to tech and also human beings are much more manipulated than I th- manipulative than I think any of us could ever imagine. Like, I think we can believe almost anything if we're fed it over and over again. Sure. And I've questioned if this virus is really any different than the tragedies that we see every single day and, and the health crisis crises that we see every day. And it's almost like we needed something like this because you, I mean millions of people are dying from heart disease and cancer and uh, every single day and I just questioned if the media weren't so focused on this if, like they could have picked anything over the last 10 years to focus on to maybe wake people up from the major health ailments that our country seems to face every day so I think maybe this will hopefully wake people up that go yeah, ahead it's, it's unfortunate people are so loss adverse although we've been losing life for years and you're speaking my language because when all this started going down i thought why are we so angry now why is mcdonald's still open because that place should have been shut down a long time ago like what what it's causing from the obesity rates in children, heart disease in families. I mean, it is, this death has been running rampant in our country. And frankly, it, uh, and this might be an unpopular statement, but I think it costs our government money to keep us healthy. And it's far easier. There's so, there's so much great information out there regarding the business that the medical industry is from prescriptions like, you know, Lipitor, all these things like there are far greater homeopathic like ways, literally like lay off grains and sugar and go for a walk and you're going to you're probably not going to have a heart attack anymore, but no, no, no. We want to prescribe you all these pharmaceutical medicines. And I think that's what's happening. It's like, we already know these issues are coming. We already know this is happening. I think for the first time, this is where an illness is paired with our economy and it's costing businesses money. And that's why we're having to act so quickly. Because this separation, I mean, we, I'm trying to think, it was March 3rd and we had already, of this year, and we had already had 14,000 deaths from the flu, right. just the flu from January 1st. 
And I, and I'm thinking, well, doesn't that that's pretty dramatic to me, especially considered considering this virus, we haven't reached that in the United States. No. And 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 yet I do want to say, okay, it's you know, because I've talked to my friends that are nurses and doctors that are on the front lines, they're like, it's so hard to describe to people if you're not there. What's difficult is it's so highly contagious and it's this very lock and key thing. Like there are some people that are just they get captured by it and it's it's it, it, it ends and it's out of our hands. But I would say for the greater majority of our population, it was preventable by just having good basic health. And I don't know why our nation or our government or our leaders haven't taken a greater stance on that sooner when it comes to sugar, when it comes to fast food, when it comes to really caring for our nation. Well, and I, it's funny, and I had a lot of health issues as a kid, mm. and it does feel like the world wants you to just go to the doctor's office, get your prescription pill, and be on your merry way. And I do think it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of self-motivation. It also sadly takes more money to because, you know, to go to the chiropractor a lot of times when they're not covered or go to the massage therapist or go to acupuncture or go to the homeopathic pharmacy in Santa Monica or even going to the Whole Foods aisle and looking for these, it's fucking expensive. Yeah. So it's it's like the system isn't set up. Even getting a, a, a little case of organic strawberries is like $8 compared to a Big Mac that's like 3 or $4 where – I mean – But uh, the only thing I'm going to argue with you on that, Eddie, is that you know what? Walking's free. <laughs> well, what do you and mean? I'm from oh, Chicago. Okay. Like I know it's cold outside, but walking is free. Movement is free. And it's crazy. Like I've been coaching free classes every day since lockdown and – I have some people joining in, but a lot of people still aren't moving. And, mm. you know, for people like you and me, it's taken time to make it part of our life and our ethos, right? It's really a part of who we are. Movement, like, I don't move because I hate my body and I'm, a, I'm trying to change it. I move because I love it. Everyone's like, what did you do to get your muscles to the this? I'm like, I just, I feel better. I'm a better woman when I move and I'm clearer and I'm happier. And that's the thing. It's like, so you know, forget the organic strawberries and forget the whole foods aisle with the echinacea. I, I just want people to start walking. There's literally, and, and then what gets me is there's, there's information. Literally your life is extended three to six years. If you just walk 20 minutes a day, Wow. that's it. That's it. It, it doesn't take anything more than that. I don't say don't you have to do a barbell. You don't have to go to CrossFit. You could do 20 minutes of your class in Santa Monica, Eddie, and walk out and you'll live longer. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. And that's the thing. And that's actually what this whole thing is exposed for me. What's holding people back? Why, why is that not a priority? And when I said loss adverse, you know, earlier, it's, it's a fancy way of saying people are more encouraged to make changes about behavior at, when they're in the fear of losing something or then gaining something. So if I told you, Eddie, you can't do yoga for a year. Um, and if you don't do it, I'll give you a million dollars. You might make it through January and be like, I don't know. I like yoga. I don't need the money that much. Forget it, Jen. Keep the million. Yeah. Right? But if I told you you owed me a million and then a million bucks of yours, you'll find something else to do. You're like, I don't want to lose that money. Yeah. And, that, and that's the system of what it is. And so I think finally, and you know, it's tough. You said we needed this. And I'm like, man, did we need it? I'm bummed that we did, but maybe we did. If this is the kick in the in the in the in the behind that we needed to really wake up and say, hey, what's here? What's not? How am I spending my time? Am I loving my family enough? And am I loving myself enough? 
I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm just, I'm like, I'm just, I have a hard time with the death and some of the people that are being affected by it, but perhaps it is the wake up call that everyone's been, uh, didn't know we needed. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Yeah. I, I don't know why it's so hard to create these habits and, you know, and, and again, part of my negativity towards tech and social media and, and even Netflix is that it is so easy. You literally could sit on your couch for hours every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, we need those people. To, I, I guess I was reading somewhere where to create change and to change your habits requires such repetition. And it's so easy to interrupt those those habits with yeah. the sidetracked, oh, I'm going to watch night, um, Netflix for 10 hours today. Yeah. Were you self-motivated to, to have this this attitude or, or was it sort of, I'm, was it in, in to, to fight somebody else's way of living and you didn't want to live that way or, you know, who sort of, or do you need anybody or is it just sort of a natural thing? Well, I'm smiling as you talk because I kind of thought, is it that hard to build a habit? I think you, so. Well, I mean, I don't know. People have made the habit to watch Netflix every night. And they're they're consistent. <laughs> yeah, but that's so, e- that's easy. I think. Okay, so now you're walking. Now we're walking down the same street, right? It's easy. Habits that are comfortable hmm. are easier to replicate. Habits that are uncomfortable are more difficult to replicate. But that's where the magic lies for me. Is it comfortable for me to wake up right now and, and like at six a.m. and go out and like I'm in Florida right now on my lockdown, so. It's hot. I don't like running that much, but I don't have any equipment, you know, where I'm at here. And so that's my morning kind of sweat and my ritual. I am uncomfortable. But the pride that I gain from that participation, for me choosing to do something that's uncomfortable, but that makes me feel great, you know, it wakes me up. And I think that's where the distortion is. There there are habits that are comfortable that almost like shut you down. Netflix, food, um, alcohol. And then I think about the other habits that wake me up, exercise, friendship, you know, cooking. It's like, I like the process of cooking just as much as I like the process of eating, you know, (laughs) things that light me up. And, And I think there's something to that. And I think it's the discomfort to new habits that are uncomfortable because now, you know, for me to go to the gym or for you to go to yoga, it doesn't take, it's not uncomfortable for you at all. In fact, it's a pleasure. In yeah. fact, I bet you miss the studio and you miss the smell of the gym and you miss the, the spaces that you used to see there and you miss your students. But it didn't start that way. I even as a new, when I was a new teacher and I bet you were the same, it's scary. You're like, oh man, what if I forget the flow? You know, I, I don't teach yoga, but I was more weightlifting and treadmills and is my playlist okay? Is anyone going to show up? I was really uncomfortable until it became something that became a pleasure and it became just a part of my life. So I think that's the thing. And I think that you, the only the people that are willing to be uncomfortable and even know are smiling and nodding with you and I, because it is like, oh yeah, it was uncomfortable, but man, I just, it, it opens up a doorway that you didn't know it was there. And that's what I encourage people to do at this time. Like, I think it's a gift what, what are, what is uncomfortable? Like I, like Eddie, I live alone with a bulldog. So I make the same dinner multiple times a night and then I repeat it. And then I take the leftovers of that and I make it something else. Or then sometimes it's just cheese and crackers and I'm making myself like 
do full on recipes for one person. And that makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, Oh my God, what if it doesn't turn out? I've wasted all this food. I'm like, but I want to keep trying. And that before I know it, it will turn into something that's really more of a pleasure, but like it, it could be something as small as that, that really starts to get you out of that, that, that normal, uh, comfortable Netflix zone. curious I was just like thinking because I've felt I don't feel this and it's kind of why I I try to be a human being when I teach yoga and I try not to be like holier than thou but I've you know you've spent a vast majority of your life where people look up to you as sort of a source of health happiness and do you ever feel like there's pressure to sort of live up to that expectation of your sort of the symbol of happy health, good goodness. Mm. And the reality is, is that I think, and again, I've felt this with yoga teachers where everybody sort of assumes they're always relaxed and always comfortable. <laughs> and it's like, come on now. I mean, do you, do you feel that burden at all? Or Absolutely. Yes. But what I think I've realized now, especially in the last few years of my life is that the burden is self-imposed. Uh, you know, who I am, whether it was on Biggest Loser or in the classroom teaching is who I am, but I felt the need to keep it up to show that like proof of my, you know, value as a coach or proof that, Hey, I'm telling you to be positive. So I'm going to be positive, you know? And I, and I think that's when, when I started to do that, I I felt very separate from myself. And so, but the pressure was self-imposed. Because what's been really fun to see is, especially as someone that's in the public eye, the the more I show the hard days and not the martyr days and not the attention getting days, it's like, you know, this is hard for me too. This workout is harder, man. I don't, did you guys understand what that guy was saying? I don't know. Like, you know, admitting that I don't know something, right. Or admitting that I'm tired or admitting that, yeah, I'm going through a breakup now and I'm not, I don't feel that good, you know? was things I didn't know I was like allowed to say. And the more I did that, the more I think I grew connected to those people that look up to me well, um, because I made those imperfections. Okay. What's interesting is that I do think not to get, well, yeah, why not? I do think Instagram and social media have sort of created this illusion that everybody has to be perfect and that they are experts. And I think the reality is, is that I think people are okay with human beings not knowing everything, but people are scared to like admit they don't know something. Completely. That was one thing I had to make myself. I used to lie a lot and I didn't know I was really doing it. But like, if you said a word I didn't know, I'm like, oh yeah, no, no, no. You're like, and you've heard of that. I go, yeah, vaguely familiar. And I would get through it. Now I'm just like, Eddie, what does that mean? Right. And that was a big thing. I mean, I, I was thinking, there's only like, I think I was 30. I'd gone 30 years not knowing what people were saying. I'm like, I think that's information I missed out on. You know I mean? Opportunities to learn I missed out on. Um, but what's interesting is it's, it's Instagram is, you know, because now there's TikTok and they're like, well, real people are. I go, this is still all bullshit. I, it's all people. People don't do that. People aren't like my friend, great guy. Um, he's like, you know, a father of three ripped abs, works really hard. And his TikTok video went like viral and his sons were like, dad, you're really embarrassing. But like Corey was like in his kitchen, shirt off shredded and doing this stupid dance. Like 
that doesn't happen in my kitchen or his kitchen or anyone's kitchen. Like that was a video set up for TikTok in order to create a, a, a response. And I think what's starting to happen is it's not just the pressure to be perfect, but it's shaping what we see or is valuable or perfect. So I would go, let's say I posted a picture that I thought was beautiful and I wrote something very meaningful and the picture happened to have my body in it. It wasn't like ooh la la, but like my body was in it. And I got like 16,000 likes. And I was like, I felt so validated and so valued. I'm like, you know what? It's the, it's what I wrote and it's, it, you're laughing at me right here, <laughs> no, no. you know, and, and, and it was a beautiful artistic photo taken by my, the, my friends, the Riker brothers. And then I was like, I'm going to test this. So the same time, very next week, similar photo, black and white, but just my face and my shoulders up and something very beautifully written. And I had like 3000 likes. And I was devastated. And I was like, I'm quitting Instagram. This is because like there's algorithms. And then by the way, no matter what my reaction is, like, this is stupid. I know what's going on. I still felt cut. I felt cut down. I thought, man, so is this not special enough? Is this not whatever? And now it's like, in a way I'm, I'm trying, you almost have to work, work the angle of okay, post certain kinds of photos to get people's attention so I can actually teach them. And I got to tell you, I, that's just not the environment I, I want to live in. Or, um, and I certainly am not happy in as a, as a coach, but I will tell you uh, now that tech is all we have and it's something that I know you're not in love with, we must find a way to break that system. So instead of being a quitter and pouting and crossing my arms and being like pissed about it, I'm like, all right, well, you're going to find a way to coach and to thrive. And the people that are reading those captions are really going to learn the valuable things. And they're going to know that you like, you know, that I got their back and that's what I can control, but I'm not going to shift what I see as valuable or not anymore because you know, I'm a pretty secure together woman and it starts to chip at the best parts of me. Well, it's funny. You bring up so many interesting points and Again, I think there are individual cases like yours, like mine, where we are relatively confident and self-aware and we don't rely on it for our livelihood or validation. Mm -hmm. But it is a very powerful tool, especially now. And my concern is is that it is changing people's brains. It is changing people's uh, um, thought patterns. And you brought up this really interesting word, validation. You know, it it has created a world where people are relying on it for validation instead of their day to day lives out in like public or real life. They are resorting to posting whatever they can to get those likes. And the only reason I was laughing early when you were telling the story is is because sadly, the vast majority of people I know in you're right. You need to think about those people that are reading the caption. But the vast majority of people are looking at Instagram while they're on the toilet or while they're walking or at the post office. Or yeah. so they're not even they're not using that to read. They're just scrolling as quickly as they can. Yeah, yeah. It's um, but I think you have to ask yourself why why you're on the platform and what you're using it for, and you have to post. It's like anything else. What you're doing it must it must come through you for you first. And if it lands on, you know, a couple of hearts that it, that it affects positively, then man, it's worth it. But it's, it's tough. I just, I just think that 
Instagram social media listed out. It's just an outward reflection and a, and a, and a vast digital space that we're already experiencing every day. I think that uh, even, even in a yoga studio, you, you see someone in a forward fold and you're like, Oh man, that's a good forward fold. I got to get there. I'm not there. I'm not flexible, man. I don't come here enough. Why don't I come enough? You know, and you start to go on your comparison shame spiral about what you're doing or what someone else is doing and how that looks. And I'll never look like that in those tights. And it starts to get really, it gets really, it's, it's a dangerous neighborhood up here. And, um, and then the, I think there's the, the only greater uh, comparison that we have to other people are who we used to be. You know, the people that like, man, I used to have this. I used to, my fold, you should have seen my forward fold, Eddie. Like, man, it, you know what I mean? And we live back there versus saying, oh, well, instead of like judging yourself and like being upset, just say, yeah, it's not as, I'm not as deep in this pose. I'm going to work on this. This is, I got, okay. And be excited and thought forward about it versus like negative. And we tend to be negative. And I don't know what, I don't know where, I don't want to call it laziness, but I, I don't know where that inaction started from. And that's kind of where I, 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 I try to find out when and how, like where, where did that arrive? Like my parents, like since the seventies, they've been growing their own vegetables and now they're they're in Chicago right now planting extra potatoes in case like the store runs out of food. And they're like, we got enough potatoes for you. I'm like, my dad is 75. My mom is 72. I'm like, <laughs> you guys have the rototiller out right now? They're like, of course we do. Like they are just like, we need something. We're gonna work toward it. And and I don't know where what generation this started to unravel, but it's been happening for a while. And that's why I don't want to totally like give the middle finger to Instagram because Instagram does amazing things. It connects the world. I'm able to see what you're doing and, you know, I'm able to see what my cousins are doing in different states than me. And so it's beautiful that way, but it's, it, I, I want to get to the source. And if you have any ideas on that, I'd love to hear your conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it's even a conspiracy. I think we have been resorted to what high school kids and I, ah. I and I think it this this is deep rooted into like adolescence, how we were raised, the amount of attention we need. Um, mm. We use the platform to get what we're lacking in our day to day lives, and huh, that's interesting. Get what we're lacking in our day to day lives. So it's like, what what if you're lacking something in your day to day life? Well, then include it. Right. But I think that's the conundrum. It, it, you know, I'm not here to pretend that I have everything figured out, but I do believe whether it's becoming a trainer, a really good trainer, a really great writer or a guitar player or a really great, you know, I've been teaching yoga now for five years. It really hasn't been until the last year that I've actually been pretty good. And before, <laughs> and before I started teaching, I had been practicing for about 10 years. So, yes. I mean, I think we want the shortcut to get that validation or attention, and it's another sort of outlet to be quick as opposed to actually putting in some work. But don't you feel like you felt pride in that work? I think that's the difference. There's mm. something about – it's like it's like we're, we're, we're building the Great Wall of China, and we know we're not going to finish it in a day, like even me and you working together. And we're hard workers, right? And we're focused, and you and I have a plan – it's going to take some time stacking, figuring out, setting the course. And I feel like, but that's why the Great Wall of China, after how many months did it take to build, right? 
Uh, someone should fact check me on that. Yeah. But like, it's still standing. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> no, but it, you, I'm bringing this up because it will compare to you. Um, not in a competitive way, but I have been writing a book for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I know you wrote a book. Yeah. And talk about a process where <sighs> you can't get validation while you're sort of on an island all by yourself. Mm. So I think that like these, even when we were in high school, if you're writing a term paper or if you're like in a band, you have other people that can tell you this is good, this is bad. But, you know, there's a that's a perfect example where you're just out on your own. And that that's scary. That's a great mental exercise. We should like encourage that. Anybody listening, write a book. It could be 10 pages long. It can be a hundred. It's a great point. Cause like, I mean, I started writing, I have things in my book that I started writing four years, even no six years before it was published. Hmm. And just the thoughts and like, and frankly, like I had a, a friend of mine that was just like, his name's Adam Bornstein and he's still one of my mentors. And he's just like, you got to start writing your stories down. I was like, the stories, I'm a middle kid out of Chicago. Nobody wants to know. I have nothing. He's like, you do write them down. What were moments that were important to you? Moments that made you laugh moments that made you nervous moments that you were interesting. I mean, I literally wrote stuff about how it's so weird that in it's that you can always tell the first day of fall. Cause you can see your breath. Like, you know, I'm from Chicago and I remember it's like, you wake up and you see your breath. You're like, ah, oh, today, today is fall. But it didn't just happen that day. It didn't just happen overnight, right? And I go through this whole, you know, three paragraphs of how fall has been coming. We've been changing. You just only see it in that moment, although the change has been happening for weeks and months. And it was this progression of transformation. And and I like that ended up in my book. Yeah. And it was some stupid thing I wrote when I was like, you know, on a Sunday, because I was like, I told Adam I'd write a story today, you know? And so I, I it's, it's in, you know, and again, six years later, it was in my book and it, it does take, it takes the time. I think you said it right. Like you don't have somebody validating what's going on or you're good. You're on track. It's a good idea. It's just you alone in there with your thoughts and your, your judge and jury. You're the one reacting to your words. You're the one in the experience. And that that's the only way I think to make sure you really have a voice and you learn your voice and then you know it's purely coming from you. Where, who was responsible for, I mean, who can you give credit towards or um, give credit to rather that... Uh-huh. Because I do think it's important to have some people that that reinforce you. I, I almost feel like naturally and intrinsically human beings, I think the vast majority, aren't necessarily confident. I think it's hard to live and breathe in this culture right now and be 100% confident. So I'm just curious... It's like it's it's if we all admitted, okay, we're insecure, let's just all admit that. Yeah. Cuz then it's like an even playing field. Nobody's yeah. more confident than the other person. So I'm just curious, you know, what were there people or at what point did you realize that some people made you feel more confident or or was it just completely internal or Okay. This is where I'm going to go with this. It's not like people and it's not just one thing. I think there are some really hard experiences that we go through. It could be a health 
issue. It could be, you know, I, I walked onto a college track and field and was terrible for my first two years. You know, I, I'd done TV and I'd never done TV before and I didn't know what I was doing. And I have just, I have gone through these things in my life starting at a young age where I had to figure it out. And I think it's that figure out process, that time on tension where I had, like, for instance, when I was going to LA and doing TV, they're like, you got to try it. We're going to be here. And they believed in me, but I had to go. I had to wake up every day and I had to figure it out. And when I started teaching classes, cause I didn't have rent money, I had two people coming to my class, Eddie, you know, and I was scared and yet I kept showing up and then it was four people. And after not a matter of weeks, but a matter of almost a year, I finally started to fill my classroom because I was there and I did the work. So it's like in those, those times of uh, trial and error. And I think it's that time on tension that we earn not confidence, but competency, right? Like the courage happens when you're going to jump out and you're going to try something. And then I think the competency comes with those repetitions. And at that point, then, yeah, when Biggest Loser said, let's do this, I said, all right, well, I've been here before, so I will figure it out because I do always figure it out. Because I learned that when I was a kid. I learned that when I was trying to play the string bass when I was in uh, sixth grade. I learned it when I was trying to do different sports in high school. I learned it going out of state to college. I learned it throwing. I mean, I've got at least a dozen experiences for, for the age of 25 that were really hard. And the people that supporting, the supporting cat, the cast of people that were like, hey, I believe you. My college track coach that was like, yeah, you look more athletic than you are being right now, but I still believe in you. You know, and he like, he busted my balls over it, but it was like, he believed and he stood by me. And he was the reason that I like placed at my conference meet and went to nationals and earned a scholarship because those first two years when I was terrible, Doug was there. He's like, you keep showing up, you keep working hard. And that, and I think that's the thing. I think it's when those, during those trials, when we're building your competency is when we need those people that, that help us to keep going when we want to quit. And I think it's those people. So whether it's through a form of coaches, friendships, and I think those are those are where those people are so critical that really see the strength and see the real us and keep us, you know, keep us from waning. And that, but that allows us to earn that confidence. Yeah. I, I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, it's, a, well, I think the thing that I connected with a lot was just, um, we have to be willing to try. And I think, I love this personality trait of mine of trying DJing and writing songs and teaching yoga and writing a book and starting a podcast. I mean, I think that attitude towards living is really, it's really important to hold on to. I feel like once we get to 25 or 30 or 35, the curiosity level of human beings just starts to dwindle down. And so I think, go ahead. Well, I want to, I have a question for you then. There's there's a difference between trying and doing, and you are, not just excellent at trying, you are excellent at doing. You do. You don't go to a class once and say, I don't know, yoga was kind of hard. You did it for 10 years. You didn't just try DJing and be like, oh God, I'm like, how did I? Okay. You kept doing it. And I, I think I'm interested to know what keeps you doing because I think that's where people get stuck. There's far more triers out there that I think you'd realize, but then they get stuck on that second attempt, third attempt or whatever. And you've really mastered that. Hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I'm thinking though, that's a hell of a question and I don't want to get 
too psychoanalytical, but I think I have something to say. And I think I have a way of communicating, whether it's through DJing or teaching yoga or writing my book, where, first of all, I just love to create. I feel most connected to my essence when I am in the midst of creation. And it's taken on different shapes. I mean, when I was three, I just sat down and started playing the piano. (laughs) And when I was 12, I had like so much anger inside of me because I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease at 12 and I missed like years of school. And so I picked up drums and it was a release. And then I started writing songs when I was in my 20s. And then obviously people sort of stopped paying for music. So then I started DJing and then I had practiced yoga, but teaching yoga is, is a, actually, there's a lot of creative uh, creativity oh, to it, yeah. you know, and, and now the podcast, I guess I, I really love to express myself, mm-hmm. whether it's through song, whether it's through podcast or writing my book. And I feel like I am not complete or fully whole until I am immersed in the art of expression. Hmm. And I think it's interesting because my part B to this great answer, by the way, is who nurtured that in you or how did you nurture that in yourself? Because I think that what starts to happen is if you at three years old got a taste of what it felt like to like live in your essence at three, you you knew at three playing, you're like, there's something here. Hmm. I want more of that. My personal testimony is by far one of the greatest motivators there is. And so you felt the courage to then at 12 pick up drumsticks and then to write when you were 20. You know, so what nurtured that process to know I have something to say? Because I would, I would bet most people think what I have to say is not going to be very important, you know? Yeah, and I, I've, of course I still battle with that insecurity because I, I'll look at the numbers or I'm like, oh, this podcast has gone a year and a half. Why don't I have like 10,000 downloads on this episode yet? Or, yeah. you know, is my book going to, I, I mean, not only, look, here's the strange, I haven't forgotten about your question, but here's the strange okay. thing about creativity. I'm doing it for myself because it's just who I am, but nothing would make me happier than when my book is done that it like sells like gangbusters. And it's not even the financial, it's just knowing that I made people laugh or react to these thoughts that I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. So, so it is a way of sort of connection. Sure. So, but back to the original sort of point, um, I mean, I was blessed to have a piano in the house at three. Yeah. And, and my parents were clearly supportive to my curiosity of drums because I went to a friend's house he had the drums and then I wanted to have the drums so they got me a drum set and then I had an uncle not had I have an uncle who was a musician or is a musician and he would give me I remember listening to Led Zeppelin for the first time and it's funny how these little moments when somebody gives you something Mm. it you never know when they're going to happen but I remember I just bought my first CD or the CD player just came out and, yeah. he, and he bought me the Led Zeppelin box set. <laughs> and so that was like, oh, my God. I remember like for the next six months just immersed into what is this? This is just like I've never heard anything like this in my life. 
Yeah. I mean, it was sort of like warrants and poison and, and then suddenly, and, and my uncle's like, you know, you have to listen to where this actually kind of originated from because it was much cooler than warrants and poison. Yeah. So, um, I just, I think like those little sort of moments kept happening and then I was in my twenties and writing songs and I could tell people were really responding to what I was doing. So that always feels good because it's a very vulnerable place to start. So it's interesting. You're mirroring this Instagram validation, right? To direct your sale, but it's, it's sourcing from things of you versus just random pictures of you. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the, I think this, this, this call and response yes. connection to music or your words or the drum, whatever those, the podcast, right. Is, is, a, is nourishing your voice. Um, and I think that's where Instagram gets us in that call and response. That's very in our DNA, Yes, but it's misguided because it's only off of one aspect of us. Uh, you it's, just, you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. Yes. Right. Oh. Because there's, well, there's such intimacy and depth to human beings. And I guess that's my biggest issue with Instagram. It has literally resorted or turned the culture into a visual based society. And one dimensional. And yeah. It's crazy. It it brings up a lot of things. And it's funny. I I was just thinking, listening, I'm like, people are listening. It's like, I didn't have a piano in my house. Like we didn't have pianos, but like, I think that what, what, what's really good that we're illustrating is it's a matter of trying. Cause even you remind me a little bit of my friend, Neil, Neil Kamamura. He's a blacksmith. He lives in Hawaii and his great grandfather was a samurai swords maker. And he picked it up like four years ago. He's 39 right now. And he just found his life's passion. Hmm. He's like, I, the, and I go, he's like the moment the metal hit the steel, it's like I knew. And like and he had been working on cars, like he made does up old cars. He has like he has lots of different like things he loves. His wife is this amazing cook. It's like there's this like forge to table. Like I mean it's it's a it's killer. All the he's like, I liked everything I was doing. I loved my life. I loved my children, but not till four years ago did he strike with that hammer. And I just think that people think it's gotta arrive at a certain time. Like Eddie, I still think you're arriving. Like mm-hmm. I have you know, I have been to your DJ sets. I have, I have not had a chance to do yoga, but like I've been to your live concerts when you would play. Like I, and you're still expanding on that voice and on that creativity. And and I don't, and I hope there never is a peak. I think we just continue to climb and to grow. And it, I, I, I always think, you know, the why will never change. You know, you know, you have something to say, but the how is going to continue to evolve and shift as you do. And that's why it's, it's, I love, I've loved seeing this trail of breadcrumbs you've given us through the years following you. Cause you're like, here I go. But the, the why has never changed for you. And I just think like, I even think I was trying to think personalized. What was my thing? What was my piano or what was my, like, what's because I, I don't even think piano is like your limit. I think there it's more your voice. You have, there's something in you that has to share and it's going to come through all these things. And I didn't start coaching till I was, 
like 25 or 26 mm. and I only did it because I didn't have any money. <laughs> and, the, and, and that's actually, like I went to this play, Pulse Fitness Studio, it's in the Valley, and I just wanted to work the front desk to swipe people in to be a greeter so I could have a free membership and make money. And the owner, Mark Herrera, said, no, 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 I think you should coach. I was like, no. And like coaching is like my life's pageant, teaching. And I didn't find it till like 10 years ago. You know, so it's just, it's just funny. I think anybody listening, like, I don't think it's a certain thing. You've got to hit it by a certain time. Hmm. But if you, if you stop trying and you stop doing, you won't ever get there. And I think that's the cool thing about your story. You, you, you actually are like, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta keep trying things. Cause I think I've, I've kind of gotten a little comfortable and I, and, and I want to continue to push and develop my how more. Well, and I think there is something about, you know, somehow recreating that environment from middle school and high school, like somehow there was such a world where teachers were allowing people to try new things and try, you know, try baseball, try soccer, try field hockey, try arts and crafts. And that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. I remember in high school, I mean, you had to do all the sports, PE. you had to do swimming, we had to do dancing, you had to like touch the, you had to touch a boy's hands, you're like, (laughs) ugh, you know, like, um, you became very aware of like your own hygiene when you had to like get close to somebody, you're like, did I brush my teeth today, do I deodorant on, Um, because you had to try all the dancing, you had to do, um, I'm trying to think, I had ceramics, photography, it's a really great point, and now, I mean, isn't that all removed? Is it PE out of high schools? It's it's been slowly moving out, and same with arts yeah. and crafts too. And it's like that was our place to just to explore play, and try. Explore. Ah. Oh. So okay, okay. Here's a good one. A question for you. I know it's your podcast, but now <laughs> okay. I'm asking you questions. It's <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised with me. Um, so let's think. How I think it feels more acceptable to give kids this room to play. I see, I mean, amazing parents out there like creating all these opportunities for their kids to learn at home during this lockdown. And, and it's, 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 it's allowed for the kids to guess and to play and to figure out and to try. And, and then I'm just wondering how do we create that sandbox for us as adults? It's a good question. I really think it's funny. My dad worked for New York Life Insurance for like over 40 years and he's retired. Ah. He's retired now. But their slogan or their tagline was, you are the company you keep. And I didn't think about when I saw that tagline when I was 10 or 12, I didn't even think about it. But I think it is so important. And again, social media and Instagram, it it's a fake world. I guess my point is don't rely on that to be comfortable with trying things, but you have to surround yourself with people that if you make a mistake or if you screw up or if you go, if you have a gig and only two people are there, you know, it, it's, it's so valuable to surround yourselves with people. And there's this great show actually called Unorthodox. Have you seen it on? Oh, no. Is it good? 
Oh, it's freaking amazing. Okay, I'll watch so it. So it's only four. We're only like three episodes in. There's one left. But it's a, the story of the Hasidic Jew who can't stand her life in New York. Okay. And she leaves and goes to Berlin, Germany. And you can feel that she is transformed or transforming because in Berlin, Ger- Berlin Germany, she is around people that look to accept her for how she is. And you can just see her literally like blossoming and opening up and becoming who she really is. And I think that is wherever you need to go, whether it's, you know, leave your hometown or you have to find this person, that person. It is so valuable to find people that find your people. I, I just think it's it's such an important quality to find. Do you agree or no? Completely. And Finding your people takes trying. Oh, it takes right? time. Yes. It, you've got, you've got, I've been so lucky. I have just had people dropped into my lap that are, I'm without a doubt short, some of the best people on the planet. Um, and I've, I've had people that come in my life that I thought I was closer to and not. And some people do move through your life and it's not bad. I've learned to take things far less personally. Um, you know, uh, and for a long time, I just thought, you know, more felt good, more likes, more followers, more friends. Right. And it's like, mm. it was just exhausting. And I didn't really believe anybody and nobody was really my friend. And that's even worse because they're all supporting the falsehoods in you versus like, come on, Jen, you can push deeper on that book. What are you really saying here? I what feel do you like, really have to, you know, and I think that's the difference. I feel like I remember when you were struggling with that. Like you were really getting caught Ooh. up in who was really there for you and who was, yeah. I mean, what, what was going on? I just think, um, I mean, listen, you've been at, at so many of my birthday parties <laughs> <laughs> and you see the same faces every time. Like you see my core people in LA and I've got a core group in Chicago. I, I just think that I, it's no one's fault, but mine, I, you know, it's a part of the next book I've been writing and it takes forever. So you, I know you can understand that, but, um, I have a chapter called do the math and it's because the common denominator between every relationship in my life from work, personal to strangers, it's me, right? I am the one thing that everyone has in common. And so the patterns are mine. The reactions are of me. The issues are often started because I had an issue that, you know, and, and it's, it's really empowered me to see, okay, where am I at? What makes me happy? What am I doing for the appearance of what am I doing for the validation of? And I really had to come to terms with that for myself. Because for me to blame others for like, oh, that person, they didn't really care about me. Or this person, they, you know, they're lazy. I I can make, I can assign names to all these people that weren't good in my life. Or I can just say, hey, they showed up because they thought I was their friend. And if they don't, if it doesn't feel like a good fit, I was the one that had to discern that. I had to make that change. I had to understand what was important and understand who was important. And what I started to happen too, is I had some of my best people, you and Emmy included, I would almost spend less time with because I'm like, we are so close. I'm like, oh, I don't have to work. They're good. Mm. And I was like maintenancing these other friendships that I'm like, oh, if I don't call them, they'll get upset. And I'm like, 
That's ridiculous. Don't assume they're going to get upset. And don't, just, who do you want to see? Make that plan. Done. You know, and, and, and I think that, I think that the complication that I went through is that it was all, it was all within myself. It really was. And you have to have the courage to let go of those, those likes, those followers, so to speak, in real life. You know, I was thinking a couple of things and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. I know you're busy. Oh, it's okay. What, or maybe not with the quarantine. You're like, let's, let's just keep talking. I was like, I saved two hours. So <laughs> bear down. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, as a personal trainer coach, I would think in the, the ultimate, it's sort of like, if you're a basketball player, you know, the ultimate would be to be a professional basketball player and then play for the Los Angeles Lakers or like the Bulls or the Celtics. Sure. I mean, to me, it would feel like the very tip of the iceberg would be getting on the biggest loser. Yeah. And so you got to that spot pretty young. Yeah. How does one, like, where does one, I would think actually after like maybe quickly, that could actually be a hard mountain and then sort of try to navigate. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I thought it was pinnacle too. Um, and then I realized, and this is nothing about the experience. I mean, it was a wonderful experience, um, hard, challenging, emotional, passion-driven. And I still talk out of my contestants, like we have Zoom meetings going all weekend, you know, and it's great. But what I realized more and more is what it was for me represented something different than it did perhaps for Jillian, perhaps something different than it did for Bob and, you know, the other trainers. For me, it was this thing that I couldn't believe happened to me. And, and could I do this? Are they, do they know? Like, am I, am I this like imposter here like that? And then I realized how great I was. And I had to see that the caliber of me, that wasn't for the cameras. It was for, I knew if I put my people first, if I put my contestants first, I would make it out alive. Cause I didn't know all these cameras, all this stuff. I've got to do, what do I got to do? I got to wear, I got to wear fake eyelashes on set. I'm like, this seems so silly. And, um, I wasn't just good at it. I was great at it. And I realized it was really an internship for me, for Jenny to realize I'm great at what I do. I have a good heart and the pillars of who I am given to me by my parents and, 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 and nourished at a young age, right? Be a good person, follow through, don't lie, work hard. Like th that, those foundations of, is what was my baseline and will, will and has gotten me through everything. So it's so, I, I saw it more as, not as a pinnacle of my career, but an internship for myself. And, and since that, you know, it was, it was tough. You thought I had, it was a mind game for me to think, okay, when's the show coming back on? Because that's gonna, you know, I was thinking, okay, because that me being on that show, it sets me apart from any other trainer, guy or girl, uh, sets me apart from any of the Instagram randoms that aren't real coaches that are like, you know, spandex and, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, what do they call them? Belfies, butt selfies, yeah. you know, and I, and I needed the show to show that I was different, that I was better, that I was great at coaching, that I cared, whatever. I, and then I had to sit and I really thought about it and I said, Oh my God. So if you take the show away, am I no longer a great coach, passionate kid? Like, am I no longer those things? And I was like, no, I'm awesome. 
I'm a good person. And I realized in that experience with television, I had assigned all these qualities to the show that were of me. And I think a lot of times we give that away to these experiences, whether job titles or relationships we were in and stuff like that. And I realized I really had to come to the realization that the show went well because of the qualities I brought as a, as a human being. And, you know, we happened to be doing workouts and losing weight and doing competitions, but there was a greater feeling that was connected through me and my team. And I think that's the difference and that what, what radiated people to me. And I realized, you know, I joked that like my, for me, health and fitness is kind of the gateway drug to, for me to help people through much bigger things in their life. You know, all my contestants lost weight. Losing weight's the easy part, but it's what they're really in there for. What's really getting them down? What's really on their hearts? And that's what I'm really good at. And, you know, there's only 42 minutes an episode once you cut out commercials, but I know that like, the conversation's been there and it was real. And so in a way, I'm just, I'm just ready for my next internship. Was, it, there, you know? was there though, like a, a, now what do I do kind of a thing when that was all over? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, it wasn't about, actually it hit me. It was fun. It was actually, it was one year ago today, like around this time, it was like early, early May. And I, for the first time, cause we'd been off air for three years and I'm like, man, I feel really good. I've, I'm building my life. I'm starting my CBD, my, I have my own CBD company called get up. I, you know, I'm writing my next book and I finally felt independent and secure in myself without the show. And then they're like, okay, Biggest Loser's coming back. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, thank God I had that realization before the show came back. And then they didn't even use me, right? <laughs> so then they have a whole season <laughs> and they don't use me. And then, man, I got to really, I really got to check if the, if the realization was real. And I, and I had to look at that and be like, is it a what now? And then I thought, man, no, 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 it's not my turn anymore. It's these coaches' turn to have that internship within their, themselves and their career because it, it's such a bigger it's such a bigger story. So I was grateful to have it, and I can see far more clearly now that the experience was so priceless. And um, but it's it's you know I'm on to the next grade in school. <laughs> yeah. You know, you were talking about me and my voice, but, you know, you've had a really, you're obviously outspoken and probably have always been that way. Or were you kind of really quiet? I mean, I mean as or, a kid, I was really shy. You were, okay. Very, very shy. I, I kind of, you know, I don't know what, Eddie, it's weird. I, I had some levels of personality. Very shy in high school, not very popular. I was a captain. I was always like a team captain, but it, it only started to come out a little more in college. I, I met some great friends that helped me believe in myself a little bit more. Um, but I think it, I think once I started to do American Gladiators, I was told I was this fitness person and I started to coach and do Biggest Loser. I was like, oh, you're a fitness expert and all these things. And I, I always looked really fit. Uh, cause I did sports and I have like, you know, I won the genetic lottery. So I, I always joked that like, thank you, mom and dad. You know, I, I have, I, I've kind of kept the things intact, but I, I think I had to become what I was told because I, that was never really me. And now I'm almost taking this path back. I'm, I like being pulled back. I, I don't like 
traveling to every city every week, trying to like be this outspoken person with a shaved head and look at me and blah. You know, I'm like, I just, that's not me. I think I made up, it's like Beyonce and Sasha Fierce, you know? Like, do you know that variation? No. Eddie? No. Oh, I'm going to teach you. So Beyonce Knowles, the Beyonce, right? Uh-huh. When she goes on stage, her alter ego is Sasha Fierce. Oh, okay. So like for me, that's why I'm like, Jen Wiederstrom, right? Like that, right. I, I don't have a, a cool name like Sasha Fierce. And I'm just Jenny. And that's a lot. Like, I, you know, and I, I, I'm finding my way back to Jenny. Yeah. Through all of it. Because I, I, I was never this open and animated. Yeah, but were people, I'm sorry, I promise I'll let you go. But were that's people okay. kind of freaked out though when when you were, became more vocal? And like, what are you, like, who are you? I, I'm used to you being quiet or were they well it's funny within my family i felt very comfortable okay i grew up in a great household very nurtured older sister younger blood brother you know hard work family trips and obviously the occasional argument with my sister but like you know what i mean like we were we were and i have a i mean my whole family like you know there's not a single divorce in our family we 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 all love each other and we're really tight and um i think i grew up there and then it was when i would i leave that environment where I had to be more of something and I'm realizing I never had to now, you know? Yeah. Cause I wanted to, I mean, I remember in high school lying when people were like, so did you watch Melrose place? I was like, yeah, it's so good. I didn't know. I was like, I had gymnastics practice till nine o'clock. I don't, re-, you know, it was just like, I, w- I wanted to so badly be more than what I was, but you know, I was always enough and it takes, this full circle, that hero's journey, you know, to come back and realize you had it all along. Yeah. Like what's next? I know you have the CBD company. Everybody seems to have a, what's going on now? I'm just trying to get on the team of the world here. I have my, you know, get up CBD. It's get up, stay up dot store. Uh, no THC. I've got a rub and a tincture. It's by far the most potent and most affordable on the market. And I just did it because a lot of companies do it wrong. And I wanted to do it right and I couldn't get my parents to take the CBD unless I built my own company because they were so untrusting. Right. And now like they my dad has, has had two joint replacements. My mom's actually, you know, and he's out of pain. My mom's sleeping. Like, so it, even if the company is just for my parents' health, it was more than worth it. And then I'm really pushing to expand and creatively push my limits on a digital pathway. As far as coaching, I'm launching um, like a subscription based kind of online team where you have an app, I'm in the phone with you. We talk on a daily basis. You've got programming. We track sets, reps, um, how you're feeling. I'm able to interact with everybody, and I, I you know, just in that platform. Um, and I'm gonna, especially given the times, I'm just going to make it very affordable and just uh, probably start with some, you know, home workouts, yeah. uh, but maybe add in equipment. But just really be there for people. I, I think that. Workouts are everywhere now. What I am going to provide is a community. Uh, I'm really good at providing love and order, and it's gonna it's gonna be a great kind of a it, it's an, again it's on an app, but it's just an online community where I'm facilitating um, every day. Uh, and there's like a good like area where I can send videos and information, and you know give them challenges and roll calls and give them the support that I think we really need right now. So that's coming out uh, mid May. And then I'm always doing like my carb cycling programs and and just really trying to stay involved that way as well. So 
supporting wherever I can. It's interesting. Last point, and then I'll let you go. I was thinking, though, it's, and I even said this at the end of my yoga class last night. I said, jokingly, there's 35,000 online yoga classes that happen today. And I am so appreciative. And I'm just throwing a number out there because whatever the number is, it's insane how many there are. Yeah. So I think it is important not to worry about what those other teachers are doing because I do think there is a space for everybody because people are going to resonate with you and maybe they won't and other people won't and other people will will hate me and other people will like me. I mean, it's just there's so many different types of exercise and different instructors and you just you can't. yeah but that's why we need our coaches now more than ever yeah you know there's a there's a great quote that's been really helping me and i think it'll resonate with you too um if you want a voice you can't care whether or not it's heard hmm. and it, it, it's just like i have something to say i want to coach i want to be here and whoever's here today i have you and that's it and that's connection and that's community and that's care and that's all we're doing. And I think that there's something about that, regardless of, like you said, who else is teaching or who shows up, that's really important. And that, I think that's really where, especially the coaches out there that are real coaches, we're in the service industry. We want to serve and create opportunities for you to have, even by this much, a better day, a better mm-hmm. experience. And that's it. That literally makes me happy. And you know, and that's why you're laughing. You're like, yeah. That it, you know, it's that simple. So we just got to stay the course. And like I said, it, it, it was something my contestants, Sonia said, she was, you create order. And I thought, oh, is that bad? I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like very fun. <laughs> She's like, no, we needed it, you know, and people, we do need order. We need structure and we need love. And, and you know, we can do that together in our own ways. Well, Jen, you've you've reminded me another reason behind my podcast was the value of a conversation. Yeah. Because, you know, it's funny, even we're friends, but it really I felt my body relax. Yeah. And I felt the conversation just connect about 20 to 25 minutes in. Yeah. And, and it's funny how like it's very symbolic. You know, when you have a world of people texting all day and DMing all day and people texting while they're watching TV or, you know, it is preventing this, what we just had to yeah. happen. And I, yeah. and it, so it's just, it's an important reminder. It's a great point. Yeah. I've been, and I would encourage like you and everybody FaceTime, I, call people and make them see you sit with you. I, my parents are in their seventies and I taught them how to FaceTime on their phone. If you have an Android, get WhatsApp. Um, but I, it's that I agree, Eddie, when you're here, like I forgot we were recording. I forgot what time it was. I, I, I you know, like we're here and, um, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and, if, you know, if anyone's curious, my website's weederstrong.com. I'm sure Eddie can put it in the notes of the episode. And but we're and we're both are here to support anyone that's listening that needs a needs a little bit of a air hug during this time. <laughs> yeah, Jen, yeah. I really beautiful talk. It was great talking. Thank you. Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah, it was nice to see you and talk. I really, yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of the show. It was the perfect time. We've been trying to set this up for so long that this almost felt. Um, a little bit more destiny than I thought. You know, it's, it, it's definitely perfect timing. Likewise. Yeah. Cool. Lots of love. Thanks, honey. I'll see you and talk to you soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Right. Have you for me. I will. <laughs>
Bye. Bye.